the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 40. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello folks, Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. few things. First, head over to my podcasts page, culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts. And there you can join my Eating Liberty Facebook group, where I share food information that might have been overlooked, and baking stories, including my own, and some tips. You can also follow me at Minds, Gab, Fitbacker.io, as well as subscribe to my YouTube channel. If you like the show and want to support it, but are more the reserved type, you can make donations through Patreon, Bitcoin, and PayPal. You can also support the podcast with a few clicks and some kind words in the form of a review on your favorite podcatcher. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast is on almost a dozen podcatchers, so find it on your favorite player, give it a five-star rating, and leave a positive review. That alerts the mythical creatures to move the show up and get more people listening. Two more ways you can support the show and get your cuppa is with a purchase of a mug through my coffee mug store at culinarylibertarian.com slash gearbubble and download a copy of my Muffins e-cookbook. You can sign up for my email list and I'll send you a few emails a week. When you leave me your email address, you will then be able to download the book. Coffee, Muffins, and the Culinary Libertarian Podcast is a good recipe. Find links to all of those on my podcast page, culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts. Regular listeners know I often talk about politics or homeschooling here. I am pleased to share with you a new affiliate, the McClanahan Academy. Brian McClanahan is the founder and Brian is a PhD in history and also does have courses in the Liberty Classroom. McClanahan Academy is Brian's own course with classes on American history specifically and special focus on the Declaration of Independence, Alexander Hamilton and how he screwed up America, and Restoration and Reconstruction. McClanahan Academy is not the sanitized history you were taught in high school and most colleges. Brian's website reads, Quote, McClanahan Academy courses sandblast away the years of rust, corrosion, and brain rot produced by mainstream history curriculum. My courses challenge conventional wisdom and modern groupthink. They are for the strong-minded, curious student who wants a real history education untarnished by establishment academics. End quote. Click over to culinarylibertarian.com slash academy to see the full selection of course titles. Brian has a real passion for history, and unlike my high school history classes, these will never be boring. culinarylibertarian.com slash academy. My guest today is me. This is my appearance on the Chef Salty Pork podcast, and at that my second one. Host Casey and I talk sourdough bread, but to sourdough, you need some basics, and that's a good part of our talk. Casey has started making sourdough bread in earnest and was eager to talk to me about it. We recorded our talk on the Anchor app, which has a tendency to stop recording after about an hour, and it did so here. When it just ends, that's the end, and it's not your device acting funny, probably. As the episode appears on KC's show Chef's Meal at culinarylibertarian.com slash saltypork, that one has a proper ending. My ending's okay. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for coming to the Chef's Meal today with my brother in arms, uh, Mr. Dan, the Culinary Libertarian. What? what? <laughs> hey, 
Hello. <laughs> I know you haven't I'm heard my own cheering section today. There you go. I know you haven't heard our episode just yet, but I actually put an applause section like right there. So it does do the applause, just to let you know. Oh, I, that's good, good, good. <laughs> okay, so sourdough. I just kind of I wanted to start this uh, by myself and kind of we'll, we'll pick at it ever so slightly. And just kind of the processes that I've been doing the past five months now. This is the fifth month for me, uh, and I've tried it. Um, there's, well, to, to kind of break it down in a, in a layman's terms, there's three versions, or there's three general things that you need. You need flour, you need water, and you need time. That's, that's the three main essentials to kind of get this together. And then there's like A to Z on every one of those points. So when I first started the journey... I started in December. I kind of wanted to to understand how to cultivate the yeast, and th- this is where I wanna where I wanna build it. So the the sourdough process, um, you you make your yeast, you cultivate it, you grow it, so you can you can find um, the the amount of time and the the location, just the, the everything, so you can notify or rather notice the amount that grows up and down, and when is the optimal and when is the non optimal to use the yeast. Two, there's the sour, uh, there's the mix of flowers that you want to kind of combine together to give you a taste. But that's that's to you know to everyone's preference. And then three, the the water and the time that it needs. And there's a lot of different ways to go about it. Um, but let's tackle let's tackle the leaven part of it. So mine took mine took ten days to fully cultivate. Most people they were saying like seven days or eight days, but mine took ten only because I think it was the weather. You know, I, I did it during the winter, so I'm assuming it was just a slower process to get the yeast uh, to go up and down in itself. Yeah, the weather weather in New Jersey in winter that could be a part of it, but there's so there's there's a lot of interesting things about sourdough bread and sourdough starters and one of one of the first things that i think is really frustrating and i think that it is the case because it was frustrating for me is vocabulary Mm -hmm. from baker to baker or cookbook author who and and there are several book uh, baker book writer bakers who write books who i respect tremendously but even mm-hmm. amongst themselves in their own books, they have their own language. Correct. And they may be talking. You and I may see something, and I say, "Car, you say SUV." Well, yeah, it is a vehicle. It is on four wheels. The name didn't change the thing. Correct. But you don't. If you came from Mars and don't know what a car or an SUV is, mm-hmm. you might think there's two separate two separate things. So yeah, that's one of the things that gets really really frustrating and. In, in trying to go from different book to different book to different book, it can, it can feel just overwhelming with all this information, which is the right response because, as it happens, there is a tremendous amount of information. But at its very basic, if you think about four or 5,000 years ago, mm-hmm. there wasn't the Fleischmanns. There wasn't the Red Star. There was no commercial. You didn't go to the store and buy a thing of yeast. Yeah. You had you had to cultivate the yeast from where you lived. Correct. And the way that you do that is you mix some water with some water and you stir it around and you let it sit there for a while and eventually people said, Hey, you know what? There's bubbles here. <laughs> well, <laughs> so people figured out how to turn that into bread. And so the Egyptian yeah. bakers were the first ones that figured this out. And uh, there's a guy who wrote a book. Uh, world sourdoughs from antiquity. He's got pictures of old Egyptian bakeries, and yeah. they started out with the original no knead breads. Yeah. So, advanced five thousand years, the French get involved and they figure out that you can knead the bread, and then you can take this very simple salt water yeast water. Sorry, mm. wrong. Salt flour yeast water, Correct. and make hundreds kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so now. At some point, pioneer people and people who were just at home, not even on the pioneer, some you know, mama in Boston was making bread because it was easier. And she did the same thing. So mm. she wasn't necessarily following any rigid scientific rules, any particular language about what this thing is called. Mm-hmm. She's just making bread because that's the way she was taught how to make bread. So mm. from 
at, at its core, anybody can make sourdough bread at home because it doesn't have to be so rigorous and so precise that if you if you mismeasure something by a few grams, oh no, I ruined it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really care. It really doesn't. Correct. It's perfectly fine. Yeah, it's a little more you... forgiving. What's that? It's a little more forgiving, like a tad, not too crazy, but just enough that even if you're off by 20, 30 grams, it's not going to mess it up. It's, it's not. It's just not going to mess it up. And there's the, so where, so we've got, so today someone wants to make sourdough bread. So we, we have, there's a lot of romance, there's a lot of romance yeah. with sourdough breads. And well, I've had this mother since 1964. I, well. All right, so that's that's <laughs> lovely. It's very it it, it evokes uh, it evokes positive emotions of warmth and and tenderness and caring and nurturing and we and and we like those are positive. There's nothing wrong with that, except if you think about really the cells from 1964 were gone in 1964. There's nothing original about that except maybe the container. Yeah, but so. It's it's nice, but you can make one today, and in a couple of weeks, you can get a mature uh, starter. So, mm -hmm. what 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 are the things that I was taught, and I have learned more about this, was that there's all this wide variety of yeasts, and everywhere in the world you go, when you mix water and flour, or in case of yeast, if it was milk, probably goat's milk. Mm -hmm. You and you capture this yeast, and the yeast says, "Hey, look! Wow, it's a buffet. Let's go eat." So the yeast is pretty predictable. It's going to eat. It's going to excrete, make gas, and it's going to make more yeast that do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. We thought, or I thought, that the yeast, in the process of doing all this, is making things acidic. Well, the acidic part is happening, which is where we're going to get our sourdough. But mm -hmm. the yeast isn't doing that. As it turns out, really, there's pretty much just two yeasts that are doing all the work. The thing that's different all over the place are the bacteria that work with the yeast to do all the things that are happening inside. Yeah. And this is where this is where knowing what's going on in your starter is interesting, but knowing about what's going on. And knowing the words about what's happening doesn't make you a better baker. Correct. What makes you a better baker is getting your hands in that juicy, sloppy, sticky mess, turning it into bread, tasting mm -hmm. it, evaluating and say, okay, now I need to go find somebody who can tell me how to make this better. Or you practice on your own, you need to take copious notes. The fact that in San Francisco, the reason San Francisco sourdough rye tastes unlike sourdough rye anywhere else in the world is there is a specific bacteria that lives only in San Francisco. Correct. And that's why you can't get that anywhere else. But mm -hmm. turn that around and say, well, you know, you live in Kansas and in Kansas there is this bacteria that lives nowhere else in the world. So they no one else can make Kansas sourdough bread yeah. unless you live in Kansas. Well, it doesn't quite have the same sexy appeal of selling, but that's not important. <laughs> what yeah. we're talking about is is making something, nurturing your friends and your family with the products of your hands, the fruits of your labor, and that's what a well-made sourdough can do. And in the under the umbrella of well-made, well, we <laughs> we have a <laughs> lot of room. To exist and and produce wide varieties of bread that are all sourdough breads, mm -hmm. all taste good, all look good, and, and and meet those base criteria. So now that we've gotten sort of a preamble out of the way, let's talk more about making sourdough bread. Correct. So, like, um, let me ask you what what exactly, or rather, I should start with. The, the the flour that I used for the yeast culture was uh, dark rye. Does that does that necessarily matter to you, or does it just give you more of? Because I I've read I've read endless amounts of you know columns and other books and blogs about uh, dark rye has the highest amount 
of uh, the yeast protein that makes it rise up and down. Is that true? Can you make it with just regular flour? Does that still give you the same yield? You can make sourdough rye with 100% rye flour, and it's going to look like a cracker. Mm-hmm. Or, well, that's not completely true. Rye doesn't have any gluten. Mm-hmm. Rye has, so, I, I'm pausing to formulate this thought. This is, this is the second sort of general area where the home baker can just be frozen to inaction because mm-hmm. of, well, you have rye, but not just rye. You have light rye and dark rye, winter wheat, summer wheat. And, mm-hmm. and there's a whole slew of it. It's like, wait a minute. It's, all I do is make a loaf of bread, and I've got 97 different varieties of flour. You know what? I'm just going to go buy it. And and it's it can be really confusing really mm-hmm. quickly, and and it doesn't need to be. Um because, because that's that's a frustration, and it's a frustration interfering with doing something and making success. Mm-hmm. So uh, the fellows that I refer to, and I reckon there are lots of really excellent baking books out there. Mm-hmm. And there are two authors in particular that resonate with me. So what that means is they write in a way that I read and I go, wow, I get it. Yeah, you understand. Now, it. That's Peter Reinhardt and Daniel Leader. And Daniel Leader has a new one coming up. But mm-hmm. um, so Sarah Silverman writes, Hemelman writes, there's a bunch of cookbook writers. And you find the author that speaks to you as if he's right there or she's right there in the kitchen giving you direction. When you find that person, that's your, that's your cookbook mentor. And it doesn't matter to me who it is. All I want is for you to get success. I don't care who does it for you. Mm -hmm. So Reinhardt, who is extraordinarily accomplished, uh, talks about using whole wheat flour in his starter Mm -hmm. because there is in the brand, I'm flipping pages here, so Mm -hmm. you probably hear that, la, la, la. So when you, in the brand, as opposed to the pure white flour, Mm-hmm. There are, uh, along with with the bacteria that are friends with the yeast, there's also enzymes. Mm-hmm. Now, as it happens, some of the enzymes the bread wants to play with the bacteria and the yeast to make the sourdough bread are actually inside the flour itself. Mm-hmm. So, it, what what has to happen is the the time is time is the most important ingredient for sourdough. Uh, to let all of these processes happen uh, that have to happen. They don't happen rapidly. It may take uh, a full four or five days to get the process to start and then another week or two to fully realize the complete depth of flavor that that flour and water and yeast, wild yeast mix are going to create. Mm-hmm. Now, you can, so Reinhardt is using whole wheat flour to uh, facilitate a malting process. Got it. Which, which is something you can do either by using sprouted um, sprouted grain flours, because the mm-hmm. malt is, is more available, and that's generally from barley, but we can get that from other things. Correct. Or you can go, uh, if you make bagels, you use malt syrup uh, in the bagel, and you put malt syrup in the water when you boil the bagel. Put a little mm-hmm. bit of that in your starter, or if you really want to be hardcore about it, and you can make your own syrup. Own, so the, the malt is is a kind of a sugar. It's a kind of a food Correct. for the wild yeast to eat. So you make it uh, it's a more attractive buffet. So the, you mm-hmm. know, but you go, hey, go, go get Frank. We had to go to this buffet because I got malt. And you invite more people to the party. Uh, if you don't really want to do malt, you can make, and Reinhardt has it in, in his book, um, Crust and Crumb. Uh, you make a raisin water, soak raisins in water, drain the raisins out, use that highly naturally sweet, no sugar added juice to feed the yeast, to, to hydrate your flour, to draw in the yeast. Mm-hmm. And so there's a process of so, uh, feeding, which is pretty much what it says it is. You're giving your starter mm-hmm. more food in the form of flour, uh, possibly some more of the sweet bit either you're giving it malt or the raisin juice and a little bit more water 
-hmm. you're giving it so the yeast just like us it does want to have oxygen they can die in an anaerobic environment or too if it's too acidic the yeast can die or at least um cease activity mm -hmm. so the yeast wants to be happy give us some food give us some water yay it's a happy day and they make more yeast they make more gas and once that process is done if you're going to make a really 100 percent wild yeast whole wheat bread then you would use this the word for this kind of a starter is barm b-a-r-m yeah uh, this is so in in the vast number of ways sourdough baking can be confusing one of the other ways it can be confusing is the names of the starters yeah sourdough rye can have a chef <laughs> which sounds like my <laughs> me no not me um or a levan or a coolish or a barm or a mother or a starter like well again we're back to the the, the martian looking at the car thinking what the heck Correct. is it because they hear all these different words well there's a lot of words there there are minor differences inside all of those things but fundamentally it is the starter for the sourdough Mm -hmm. So, so I wasn't kidding when vocabulary and nomenclature become really confusing. And then uh, you can go on Facebook pages and there are people who are probably out of good intent are committed to this word for this thing. And if you try to make sourdough bread with anything other than this starter that I've identified, well, that's not mm -hmm. true sourdough. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the uh, what I call the um, the pru well, the the pruists or the, the, the yeah, purists, um, right? I, I'm just I, like, eh. Possibly there there's there's a level of we use the word patriotism to that particular kind of baking, which doesn't really need to apply. Correct. Um, in, instead of so, it it doesn't help the novice baker if they're told the only way to success is my way to success. Well, mm-hmm. Obviously, that 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 just that's not that true. Apart on this face, that can't even be demonstrably true. There's nothing right about that at all. Yeah. So, so what? And, and it's funny we're talking about this because I have on my counter a little little Bain Marie of mm -hmm. a starter. Yeah. And uh, I just used some of it yesterday. I, I put some. So I, it's I didn't make a true sourdough bread, but one of the mm -hmm. things. That so a what a starter does is it's giving it some yeast, but it's also giving it some flavor, and the flavor is in the form not just of acid, but as the as the water and the yeast and the enzymes and the bacteria and the flour all sort of sit together in this soup of stuff. <laughs> Stuff's happening. So as it sits there long enough, the enzymes and bacteria are breaking down the gluten. So if you have a starter and you let it sit there for a couple of weeks, as you're stirring it in the first couple of days and you really look at it, you can see these long, stringy fibers of dough. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the protein gluten stretching out. Correct. As this starter increases in acidity and as time happens to this bowl of soup, you stir it some more and you start seeing those strains are becoming fewer and fewer. The, the bacteria is breaking down the gluten in the dough or in the starter. And mm -hmm. what's going on is, and this is one of the things that I found very interesting about sourdoughs is sourdough breads are easier to digest because the gluten has already been sort of neutralize uh, destroy a little bit so there's yeah it's uh, been worked I'll out send you a link to an article which is very fascinating it goes into good detail about um how wild yeast and lactobacillus work to deactivate a particular acid which exists in what we would call a straight dough you take mm -hmm. the commercial yeast, you put your water, salt, flour, yeast in the bowl, you mix it, you let it proof a couple of your ferment, you let it proof, bake it, and there you have a loaf of bread. Mm -hmm. And homemade bread makers are perfect for 
sort of straight bread doughs. The biggest yeah. problem with straight bread dough as far as bread goes and human digestion goes is there this, this phytic acid uh, latches on to some of the micronutrients that the body needs, calcium, magnesium, iron, zinc, and doesn't make them available to you. A sourdough breaks down this phytic acid. So now these micronutrients, which are vital to human wellness, are available to you in this sourdough bread. And this sourdough bread is going to digest in your body more slowly. You feel fuller longer. Correct. Uh, so there are, there, I, I, if you have celiacs, you're, you, this, I'm, I'm not speaking to that person. I'm speaking to the general person who says, I don't like to eat bread because it makes me feel bloated. Mm -hmm. And that's probably almost certainly true for the commercial stuff. If it's, it's a long experiment to do five to 10 days, mm -hmm. but make a proper sourdough. And there's a really good chance that that bloated feeling that everyone gets. And I, I, I now I'm paying attention and I get it too from mm -hmm. the commercial bread. It's like, wow. This just doesn't. This doesn't feel good. But it doesn't. A sourdough will not have that same effect. Correct. Yeah. No. I, ever since I've been making bread now for the five months that I've been doing it, I haven't even eaten um, commercial bread, any any of the white stuff at all, because the the bread that you make from your hands just feels so good and tastes so phenomenal. Even if it sits there for a week and then you take a slice and you heat it up, the crunch. On that outer crust is phenomenal there's there's nothing i can't explain it uh, every time i make the bread i'm just amazed on how good that is and i can't just put my head around it uh, on such a simple process but just the amount of time it takes is the one crucial thing that most people um, need to realize when they're making home bread well so yes you make a good point that time is necessary but the the important distinction in that time is it's mostly doesn't need you correct it's it's yeah. time on the clock and as far as the human activity with that starter for the first five days it might be might be two minutes a day so mm. you you you've got a fraction of time to do something with the starter and then mostly it's just it's just riding the clock letting the enzymes and yeast and bacteria do their thing you come back the next day and you give it a little bit more flour, a little bit more love, cover it back up and away. So even the mixing, so most of my breads, I mix four minutes on low, four minutes on high. So eight minutes of mixing, a couple of minutes of scaling. Mm -hmm. And I was in the bowl fermenting on the counter. Well, it doesn't need me for that. Yeah. So bread making takes a lot of time off of the clock, but it doesn't require a lot of time of the person. Now, if you get to the point where you're mixing bread, this is not a day to go run errands. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. When, when, when I was running a kitchen, and, and then we, we made all the bread there, we made everything there, um, sort of the, the hierarchy, this is kind of silly, but it was funny, and they understood, <laughs> the hierarchy of the kitchen deities was the bread god was like Zeus. Mm-hmm. And if so, and the, and the reason is that the bread god is easy to appease, but quick to anger. And if you neglect the bread by letting it ferment too long or overproof or underbake it, then the bread god is displeased. And <laughs> the bread god knows all the other gods. And when you're in a, at home, it doesn't matter. In a commercial kitchen, if you displease the bread god, well, then he knows the grill God, the saute God, the prep God, and the knife God, and you if you get cut, because you did something wrong with the bread. If you burn something, you did something wrong with the bread. What'd you do? Oh, yep, I, I burnt it. So, see? Yeah. So, it, it was, it's not, obviously, it's not factually true, but it's a, it's, it was a, it was created to drive home the point that bread there's a lot of room for nuance, but when the bread is ready, then the bread's ready and everything else has to stop. Correct. Or at least yeah. you put on pause and go give the bread. It might need 30 seconds of time. 
but in the 30 seconds is asking of you is going to save your entire day in the professional kitchen. So you better go listen to the bread because it's going to make you pay. Mm -hmm. So same. So if the bread over ferments the first time, this is where practice uh, a little bit of reading either from a cookbook author you like or a blog that you like or a Facebook group that people are nice because sometimes they're not nice. <laughs> um, everyone's going to make a mistake. So yeah. it's it's not doesn't become trash, becomes a learning opportunity and what pay attention to what can I what can I rescue from this? What can I learn from this experience? And maybe there's a tweak there. Maybe instead of fermenting for 30 minutes, 40 minutes produces because now there's going to actually be 20 minutes additional. So mm -hmm. instead of 30 minutes, uh, uh, the, a lot of our cookbooks used to say, and some of them still do, uh, when you're making a dough uh, after the first rise, punch it down. Yeah. Well, there's. Let's take a moment out for a word from my sponsor. The the. I, I take issue with the phrase punch because it implies a level of violence onto the bread that the bread doesn't want. Yeah. Um, punching it flat like a disc, letting it do all that work all over again is, is an unnecessary amount of, of attention to the dough. What the dough <laughs> wants is it wants, it wants some, what it wants to do is you stretch out the gluten a little bit, but you're introducing air. So the yeast says, Oh, Man, all right, we got something to be. Let's go. Let's go back to work, guys. Mm -hmm. And in the half an hour or forty minutes that the dough has been sitting on the counter, it has created some air. So completely degassing it and getting so the air has some flavor into it. And it's also mm -hmm. it's going to be your your rise in the oven. Correct. Taking all that away. To me, it doesn't make any sense. So being a little bit more tender, so I, I, I don't use the word punch anymore. So now I just you lift the dough out, you pull it a couple of times, fold it back on itself, and put it gently back into the bowl, and let it ferment a second time. Mm -hmm. um, this is another one of those vocabulary areas where people get confused because why isn't that proofing? What does it mean to ferment? Yeah. Um, so... So we know what fermentation is. We open a bottle of beer that has somebody was eager and brought us a bottle of can of beer up the top and there's just foam everywhere. Mm -hmm. So the fermentation in the can is done by some sort of liquid grain uh, and yeast and some kind of a sugar and in a container. So yeah. fundamentally, it's liquid bread. It really truly is liquid bread and it really bread is. is just solid beer. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. You, you've got carbon dioxide, the gas, which is the foam or the rise of the bread. Mm -hmm. You've got yeast, you've got sugar, you've got grains. They're, they're very much alike. And degassing the bread is like letting all the fizz out of your beer. Well, you don't want a flat bread and you don't want flat beer. Um, Correct. So that's what the fermentation means. You're, letting, you're increasing the carbon dioxide gas in the bread. The proof part is when it's in the pan or on uh, whatever whatever its final form is going to be. Uh, if it's sandwich bread, it's going to be in the pan. If it's a batard or a ballon or a fugazi or a focaccia is going to be in a pan. Mm -hmm. In that final thing, the proof is, is it growing into its own shape? So mm -hmm. in the sandwich pan, the loaf pan, is it, is it going above the top of the pan? And is it going to make a nice crown, which is that beautiful little rounded top? Or in the focaccia, is it rising up to the edge of the sheet pan? Or the mm -hmm. focaccia, is it filling in and looking big and round? That's the proof part. Mm -hmm. And then, boom, in the oven it goes. And that last little burst of rise is called oven spring. And you know mm -hmm. that part. Uh, and the other spring, man, that's it's really exciting to watch because it, it just, really is. Just gets you like, Woo! it's validation. You just see that you it. Did the job right. You just see it go, and you're like, oh, my my son, I feel so proud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the immediate visual reward for for hard work paid off. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we we essentially covered what the starter is and everything. 
and there, there's a lot of different versions and there's a lot of verbiage that we're throwing at you and it to break down all of those is just, we'll take another episode altogether. But let's move on to, so we, we have the starter, we cultivated it. It is now rising and falling and we can predict it. And this is another verbiage kind of thing. You, you need to notice it. Uh, I, I've been doing it for four months now. I, I know how much my dough rises, how much uh, it falls and what the time it needs for the full bloom. Another verbiage, right? Uh, let's talk about the mix. So I do, I do, I only do about 600 grams of flour total. Uh, I, I make two small loaves because I, I only necessarily need to feed my my wife and I, and the two loaves will suffice for a week and a half, two weeks tops. So that's that for me is enough. Most recipes, that, at least the ones I've um, uh, researched and and uh, read on books they start at 1800 grams and we're talking about just like a full-blown loaf and you can either separate it or, or do whatever you want but 1800 grams is uh like a heifer like two and a half kind of by two and a half uh bread thing that rises that's a beautiful piece of thing that you've cultivated but let's talk about the mix so i i do and this will be the flour that i've I think I want to settle on indefinitely. So I'll throw some flowers at you. Let's see. Let's uh, let's uh, let's compare some notes. So I do 300 grams of Gusto's uh, artisanal flour, basically 12% protein. It's a whole wheat. Uh, it has a mix of barley, uh, a malt all together. That gives me the most umph for uh, the protein aspect of the flour. And then I do 300 grams of uh an ap bread flour whatever it is right now i'm using king's arthur um ap bread flour that that's essentially my mix and then i do 85 percent hydration on the sourdough that just means you take that and you you add just about uh, 512 grams of water uh, that's room temp and then you mix it and then you let it sit and then there's a whole another process altogether. Uh, adding your starter to it and then kneading it, but essentially that's what my mix. How does yours reflect um, on your end? Well, if you're you're making a starter for a particular kind of a loaf, mm-hmm. so uh, if I'm going to make, if I know I'm going to make a, for example, a uh, wild yeast leavened a whole wheat bread, then I will follow the five-day step in Reinhardt's book with starting with whole wheat flour and the raisin juice and then adding to that and then bringing in about day three some bread flour, some white bread flour, mm-hmm. whole wheat flour. The, it, it has some gluten because it's whole wheat, mm-hmm. but because it's got the bran and the endosperm, it's, um, wrong word, um, Anyway, I'm. It's okay. It's okay. It's it's a lot. So it's it's it, the gluten isn't as available as it is in a white bread flour. Mm-hmm. So initially, I want to build flavor, which is what the whole wheat's for, mm-hmm. and the enzymes and bacteria are working on that to make this. Uh, it's going to be a, just a deep, nice, weedy, nutty flavor, and and you just can't shortcut that. There's nothing you can't open a bottle. Or a jar and get that. You have to do it, and, and time's the only way to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the breads that I make here for sandwiches, um, I need to be a little bit faster. Got I it. Be able to respond more quickly because mm-hmm. um, maybe everybody had sandwiches today, and holy smokes, I've got almost no bread left. So I will use the starter on the counter, which is pretty much equal parts by weight. Uh, I'm sorry, wrong word. By volume, cup to cup, flour to water. Mm-hmm. And I will let that sit for 24 hours uh, and then add half a cup of each to that the next day. And and that's already going to start enough fermentation that I use that as part of my water in the recipe. And here's the funny thing about adding a fairly wet starter mm-hmm. or levant or something to your dough. Mm-hmm. It, it's not really flour and it's not really liquid it's that that doesn't know what to do with it yeah it's just a bowl of slush and 
Like it's straight up it's, like it's mushy. This thing there, yeah. So and I'm and I made uh, I'm playing with English muffin bread to put on the blog, and I'm noticing that even though I'm adding this the starter to it to get some of that sour flavor, and I like the way that it tastes, it doesn't it, the the bread doesn't see it as liquid. So it's kind of an, an interesting thing, and that's. That's a little bit more than just your basic. I'm gonna go make sourdough bread. Mm-hmm. And you could you could make the starter and use the entirety of it by starting with a smaller quantity. Started with a quarter cup each. Mm-hmm. Next day, feed a quarter cup each to that, and use the entire thing in your loaf of bread. And then the next time you make bread, just know two days out, you need to make a little bit of a starter just to get some of that sour. It's not really sour, but it it's a it's got a little depth of flavor to it yeah. that you can't get from a straight dough, but it's not going through all of the steps of waiting five to 14 days for a really good sourdough bread. Mm-hmm. So here for home, I'm cheating up a little bit because it has to be able to respond a little bit more urgently for the lunches for the kids. Yeah. Um, but if I'm going to do a real proper sourdough, then I'm going to go and take those, those days and and then I'm going to follow either some of the suggestions in the book because for that whole wheat bread with the raisin juice, the ratio isn't going to be the same as it is going to be for a rye starter mm-hmm. because the rye is going to absorb a lot of a water. lot more liquid, a lot of water, ounce per ounce. If you added, I'm, just, I'm making this up, but if you had an ounce of wheat flour and an ounce of rye flour, and added two ounces of water they aren't going to look the same because they hydrate. Correct. Yeah, that's why I use so much water. Right. So it's difficult to say on any given situation, just as a blanket, have this starter and you're good all the time. I don't, unless you're going to do what I'm doing is just have this thing on the counter using it two or three times a week. Um, I I don't think such a thing works. I don't think there's just this panacea for, uh, all sourdoughs do this because each kind is going to want its own version of what the sourdough, what the sourdough is going to be. Yeah, I mean, everyone has a different because uh, you're a baker, so you pretty much leave your your starters on the counter and let it do its thing uh, 12, uh, twelve hours after or whatever it is. However, for me, since I don't necessarily bake all too often, I only do it once a week or once every two weeks. My starter actually resides in the fridge, so I'll I'll put after I've used it, um, to, to eventually like 75 grams is what, I'm, what I need for the 600 grams of flour mix that I do uh, with the water. The rest I'll remix again, uh, 50 grams of flour and water, uh, mix it together, let it sit there for a couple hours, and then it goes in the fridge and it stays for a week, a week and a half, and then I'll feed it again. Again, a lot of verbiage we're throwing here. Um, and then that's how I can keep feeding uh, my sourdough without it starving and going flat. And that's fine. I worked at a bakery in New Jersey where, so yeah, talking talking about bread and the French is like talking about basketball with the Chicago Bulls. Mm. It's 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 just we're not talking we're not talking home style baking here. Um, and this kid was he was a young man, but he was a very very talented baker, and had had a process and and that's fine and, and certainly not in a position to tell the French they don't know anything about bread mm-hmm. um, so refrigeration's fine make sure that when you feed it it's on the counter for a couple of hours mm-hmm. so that the enzymes and bacteria can start doing their thing at room temperature correct um, that's like the main thing it will happen in the fridge but it will happen more slowly so when you you want to sort of see that happening Cover it well, put it in the fridge, bring it out the next day, same thing. Give it a couple of hours at room temperature, uh, stir it. And so what, what his process was, so we would start with a kilo of flour and a kilo of water and a teeny, teeny, teeny bit of salt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next day, so that's that's two kilos of stuff. That's two kilos Half of stuff. Half of yeah. that is thrown away. Mm-hmm. And the next day, every day you're feeding it again. Now this that's a lot. I mean, if you're at home, yeah, that's not chucking practical. out a pound of flour every day just to get flavor in a starter, well, that's a big expense for a household to endure. 
So that's that's not reasonable. That's that so is. what a professional bakery is going to do and is able to do isn't. I, I make the point on, on my podcast and, and some of my blog posts. It is an unreasonable expectation in some cases to think that you can do at home the exact same thing they do in the restaurants. They yeah. have resources and time that homes don't. And it's, it's, it's not reasonable to think you can be able to go through just fundamentally to buy a bag of flour to end up in the garbage only to get some flavor out of it. That's that to me, if you want to do it, that's fine. But I find that a silly decision. It is silly. Um, it's, I don't so, think it's necessary either for a home cook to do. Well, again, but here we are. We're, we're talking, I and mean, this is, I will tell you that after the time, it took a while uh, to get it to where he said it was ripe and ready to use, the bread was amazing. Yeah. No, no. It, it comes out beautiful. As long as you, so, you like take note of the rise and the amount and then the, the actual physical temperature of that day like i said I, I take notes pretty much and i made another batch yesterday and that's why i wanted to talk to you about it um so my process is since we covered the the starter and then the mix and then the amount of hydration then comes the kneading part right so at least the process that i come up with and it works pretty well at least in my environment i'll wake up at six in the morning i'll take out francisco that's my starter that's my my son i, I named him francisco i take him at six in the morning i, I leave him out on the counter couple hours and then I feed them the 50 grams of water and a flour primarily dark rye and half of the the malted flour mix them I let it sit there till about 10 10 a.m. and then I'll, I'll make sure that I keep track of how much he's rising and then at his full peak I think around I don't know four and a half four and three quarters uh, hours of the way he's full bloom he's ready to go and I can tell he's just like bubbly and oozing Right before he gets to it, though, I'll pre-mix my, my flour and then my water and just let it sit there for an hour. Um, that's another procedure all in itself. I don't want to pronounce it. Everybody pronounces it differently. Um, Emily's. Right? And as, as soon as that goes by itself, and then you add the starter into said flour that looks like a bowl of just soup goodness, you then mix it. With I have a little scraper that it comes with. As soon as I mix it, I give it maybe, I don't know, 20 or 30 twirls or some junk. I crack a little bit of salt pepper, or not salt pepper, salt into it. And I mean just a little bit. You, you don't need much. You don't want to kill the, uh, the yeast. Let that flavor in itself. And then for the next two and a half hours, at least for the processes that I'm doing, two and a half hours seems um, the amount that's needed for the flour. I then... Um, I then turn it, uh, I knead it ever so slightly for every half hour or so on that two and a half hours. And then the final, the final rest, I call it, uh, it takes me four hours for it to, to fully do its thing. And I don't even touch it anymore, just, just by, its, by itself. After the four hours, I take it out of the bowl into the, um, into the counter. I cover it, let it rest uh, for a half an hour. Let it do its thing. Let it let it just kind of separate and ooze out. Just relax because it did it did all that beautiful work. I uncover it. I split the mass in half, and then I have two. I have two. Um, I have two of the rattan um, bread proofers on hand, and then I shape them into batards pretty much. Just by itself, I roll it, uh, do the two folds, and then just ever so slightly, gently place it in there, and then. It goes into the oven at 500 um, and then there's you know there's two ways to go about it into the oven uh, doesn't matter which way you do it you just needs to have certain techniques you can either put it onto um, like a pizza stone or a stone if you have it or the more popular way into a Dutch oven if you have it also but it's just two different um, ways to go about it and then uh, 25 minutes into the 500, uh, if I'm cooking it into the Dutch oven, a little bit of water goes in it, covered, let it do its thing. And then at 25 minutes, I turn it down to about 425 to do the rest of the cooking, whether that be 30 minutes or 35, 40 minutes, just depending on how much bark or crust, the, the color that you want on the, the bread. And then we are, that, that is a sourdough. It, it has done its thing. At least that's the version that I came up with, and it's been working pretty good. 
It sounds good. Um, right. We can, like, how do how does your processes go? I think one. I know you're you, in a commercial. I'm, I'm guessing, but if Jersey is going to be this summer, like it is every other summer, I think you got to find a big change in your time. Uh, it's going to. I think it's going to speed up um, about June because uh, it's going to get yeah. hotter everywhere, and the humidity is going to rise, and the heat's going to rise. Uh, even though you've got AC in your house, I think it's going to have an impact on your uh, on your on your dough. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think one of the first now this is uh, opinions are plenty amongst cooks and bakers. <laughs> of course, absolutely. This is what um, we crave for, and and that's and you know you ask three cooks their opinion, you're going to get four answers. Um, <laughs> I think I would probably lower the temperature sooner and bake it longer. Sooner? Yeah, so I would put it like in Like we're talking 15 minutes? And then maybe a minute later, drop it down, uh, and then extend the oh, baking yeah. time longer. Yeah. Wow. But that's... Okay, that's, I'll make a note of that. So my reason for that is that I want to... Uh, I'm, either way, we're going to get that nice big oven spring, but I mm -hmm. want to lower the temperature to make more heat going inside longer and slower than that initial crust on the outside. Got it. I'm making notes, by the way, just just so you know. And I have my, my book so out. So the, the, way, the way you test this, of course, is one day, do it. And say, all right, everything else yeah. is the same. We've mixed uh, Francisco, is that what he said? Francisco is his name, yeah. Francisco has been turned into this. We've got the dough. It's done all those things. It's ready to go in the oven. The only thing different today is we're going to lower the temperature one minute after it goes in the oven mm -hmm. and extend the baking time. And I don't know the answer to that because I don't know what the hydration is on that particular day. Correct. I don't know what the evaporation was. So that mm -hmm. I can't know. But you, you check it. After, you, after your normal 20 or 30 minutes, give it the thump, give it the thump, and then, ah, that's the sign I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. how long it took and then of course let it cool long enough so this is something we'll talk about and this is something that i was telling my daughter today because i made uh bread yesterday and i cut it too soon because i couldn't wait yeah of course it's so um, irresistible so it's not an unreasonable thought that baking happens in the oven that's where the heat is that's what baking mm -hmm. is you're putting heat onto the food take the food out of the oven it's not baking anymore well yeah but no that's not really true so What's going on in bread in the oven is the heat is doing things. So three main things are happening. Starches are caramelizing, proteins are gelatinizing. No, starches are coagulating, proteins are coagulating. Ah, I'm getting all confused. Starches, <laughs> That's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm losing. Proteins coagulate, sugars caramelize, and proteins gelatinize. That's, that, that's it. And in the oven at 400 to 500 degrees, that stuff, even though it looks solid, because the loaf is obviously you can touch it, it's solid, it's kind mm -hmm. of in this sort of weird liquid vapor phase. Yeah. And leaving it on the counter long enough for all that stuff to return back to room temperature, all that stuff has to sort of undo itself. It has to unwind yeah. and go back into its solid forms, which sounds like weird baking physics. But what that really means is that the baking hasn't finished. Yeah. Baking, cooling down for the bread, for the cookie, for the rugula is as critical as the right temperature and the right amount of time is spent in the oven. And mm. listen, I know as well as anybody who bakes, the lure of a fresh baked loaf of bread is almost overpowering. I can't resist, but you must. Yeah. And my mouth, my mouth salivates. The bread knows if you cut the bread too quickly, all of those things that have to happen while it's cooling stop then and there. Because yeah. you've, you've cut it. It's like when you cut yourself, you bleed out. Well, you don't mm -hmm. die, but you're bleeding and you're hurt. When you do that the bread, it stops doing its cooling thing. And so you have, you have wherever you cut it, or when you cut it, in, wherever in time, you have stopped the bread then and there, and it won't do much more after that. Yeah. And it's worth, it just really is. It's just worth waiting long enough for the bread to be cool at room temperature. It still might be a little teeny, teeny bit warm inside, 
but your your bread will be happy, your mm-hmm. taste buds will be happy that you are getting the full flavor of the bread, and it's worth yeah. the wait. And that's I'm I'm as guilty as any other baker on the planet of not <laughs> wanting to wait, but I recognize the importance of letting the baking process complete itself, which is a full proper cooldown. Yeah. No, I've uh, I've actually sold the one loaf. That came out the the one I shaped into a batard. That one came out first, and it was I, it was so tempting. I just couldn't. I couldn't. My wife and I were just looking at it. We're like, ah, we want it now. Oh, I get it. But the other bread, however, the one that I just shaped um, normally, just into a circle, just kind of folded into itself. That one fully rested, uh, and it should be. I mean, it's ready now. It's just in the counter. I'm actually gonna ship that to my mother a little later. What a good sign! I know, right? I because I promised them I, I was gonna give them bread, and I, I, you know, I make two loaves every time anyway. So that one's gonna be spectacular, and I know it. What? So just kind of, kind of, not really to wrap it up. There's, there's just so much into this that we can get into. How do you, as a professional baker, um, shape your bread, and what actually? And this is a technical term uh, that we're kind of gonna talk about. What exact hydration do you do your breads in? I know there's different kinds of it. There's different formulas that you do. But at least for the home use that you're doing, what hydration and how, what shape are you shaping your bread to? Um, right now, mostly it's sandwich bread because I need to have lunch with the kids. And I, I refuse Got to it. buy commercial sandwich bread. Um, yeah. Sandwich bread is going to be a fairly low hydration, probably 60%. If I had to guess, oh, really? I, don't, I don't even pay attention to the hydration because I know I mm-hmm. need I need it to be uh, I need it to be of, of a particular um, not wetness to hold the mm-hmm. shape in the pan. Um, got it, got it. If I'm going to make ballons, I'm going to I'm going to really push it, and I've gone oh so like a no need bread. Uh, a no need bread is going to be eighty five. Eighty five, yeah. I'm going to really push it, and I've gone try. <laughs> I've tried it as high as 90, and that's um, that becomes a challenge to work with and hold. <laughs> uh, and so one of, the, one of the risks in making a dough that's too hard to handle is that when you try to put it into, into the um, Dutch oven uh, as a no-need bread, if your hand is sticking to it and you're pulling it as you're pulling it away, you're stretching the gluten, so it's going to be funky shape there, but you're also degassing it, so you're going to lose volume in the in the bake. So there's a trade-off. You might succeed at 90% hydration, but you may fail because you can't get it into the Dutch oven. Mm. Um, a focaccia, because it's already in the pan, is probably 90%. It's very hot, and, and I've got pictures of it on the blog fabulous giant beautiful holes just awesome i know um, it's so good a proper ciabatta same thing it's just gonna be it's it's like soup <laughs> it's yeah just, it's a so the ciabatta rolls you buy in the store i don't it's no stop go away that's not ciabatta <laughs> it, proper ciabatta is so stinking wet you can't hold it yeah it's and so hard goodness if you can pull it off and you need you need you need sort of need practice you need to yeah. you need to be able to deal with flour and dough sticking to your fingers and there's nothing you can do about it and some bakers mm-hmm. can't deal with that uh, and then the ability to get it into uh, the oven at a high oven uh, on a baking stone as ciabatta on a sheet pan to me this is this is the little hoity-toity you know noise in the air <laughs> uh, i don't think it comes out the same i think it needs it to really doesn't to get that quick immediate line Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It needs to be in a pan to to give it its proper shape, in my opinion. Also, like I've, uh, this is the first time. Not really the first time, but I've tried with seventy percent hydration. It wasn't bad, but then when I when I took the leap to eighty five percent hydration, I was just like, "What am I doing? <laughs> I don't I don't know how to handle this. It, it's so it's so viscous, but at the same time, it's it's oh, I I can't explain it unless you're you know, specifically dealing with that bread and that that texture, there's no way to explain that um, that sensation on your hands when you're trying to mix and knead this thing. No, it's 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 not even kneading. Is you almost have to sort of you have like to plopping. move your hands. 
faster than the dough sticks. And that's yeah, it's like it's just plopping. It's, it's not in terms of like kneading like a sandwich bread. Eighty-five percent, ninety percent kneading isn't the right word. It's just you're throwing the dough on top of itself and getting your hands out of the way before it sticks to you. It's, yeah. that's really what it looks like. <laughs> that's what it is. It's just a bowl of soup, but it's so good that bowl of soup. Oh um, yeah. So. One of the things that's interesting to pay attention to, and if someone who's trying this and wants so, uh, what we're talking about is hydration. What does this mean? This 85%, what are they talking about? In, uh, in, so in professional baking, you can find cookbooks that measure everything in cups, and that's fine, but mm-hmm. professional bakers use something called baker's percentages, and everything's based off of 100% of, of um, I wasn't prepared. I think it's I think it's flour. I'm gonna get it wrong. It said flour. Yeah, it said flour. Whatever that. I'm gonna go get email. So you have <laughs> a kilo of flour. So eighty five percent of a kilo of flour is eight hundred fifty grams of water. Mm-hmm. And then there's ratios of if you're doing yeast or using a starter or you're adding salt. Everything has ratios. If you've got seeds going in, there's ratios for that. But mm-hmm. so eighty five percent hydration means eighty five percent of the weight of the flour. Uh, in weight of the liquid, so that's what we're talking about. If you so that eighty-five and ninety percent hydration bread, which is going to have generally those giant and irregularly sized holes, which makes a baker's heart sing. It really um, is. It's and so then good. it has. This is where you know you've done it well. It has a a translucence to the mm. crumb, and it it has. Kind of a little bit of a, a little bit of a shimmer. They can sort of have to see through it, and like, and that's, you know, you every baker tries for that, and it doesn't always succeed. But when you get it, and you're like, oh man, you can't. It doesn't photograph. It doesn't. It doesn't. You cannot. But you can, you know, you know. Yeah. As as the best. Oh man, this is, this is this is the bar, and mm-hmm. and it's. It's fun to keep trying to get to because yeah, because you're not always gonna get it. You're not always gonna get it. Oh my god, it's well, so few and far in between. But that is the bar we're trying to raise to. Well, and and there's just you know the scale is gonna weigh a thousand grams the same thing every single day. The thing that mm-hmm. you can't account for, and this is where this is where practice does make a difference. This is where experience and knowing what your fingertips are feeling and knowing what to do about that. Although if you're folding the bread ready to put in the oven and it's not hydrated enough, there's really nothing you can do about that now. Um, That would have been something to fix yesterday or hours and hours and hours ago. But there are so many environmental factors uh, and any given day, how much moisture is in the flour bin that's gonna have an effect now, if you're making a pound of flour for your bread, mm-hmm. that's negligible. If you're at a bakery and you're making 60 or 70 pounds of flour, now that does make a yeah. difference. If you're making even more than that, these <laughs> things change. So this is there's so many environmental factors that you can't you can't affect, but will affect what you're creating. And this is just this is the practice thing. So, you know. If your craft is woodworking or painting or gardening, if you're really, really good at it, there was a point in time when you were not really good at it and you put effort into your task and your craft and you paid attention to these things. Baking is the same, but it is harder to see the immediate results. When you're woodworking, You take the wood, you cut the wood, and there it is. Now, it may take you two days to make the project, but the results are immediate, and you can know what you've done wrong. For bread, mm-hmm. you have to... <laughs> you can't. You have to wait for the bread. You're like, oh, man. Mix it, shape it, bake it, cool it, cut it, and then eat it and say, oh, man, I forgot to put salt in this. <laughs> yeah. There, there's so many things that go revolve around making sourdough that just appeals to me so much. And I, I, I really am glad that I, I took that deep dive into it because now I can never look back. And now I'm kind of mad at myself because why haven't I started this 10 years ago? Like I should have I should have just not even made any other kind of thing and just go into baking because it's so it's so good. It is so good. I can't stress that enough. There's nothing better 
than making something with your hands and eating it because you knew what went into it and it's the product of what you're making and bread specifically sourdough just the just the climb to make that bread um is worth it just it's uh, it's so good it is so good well i have to agree with you there and that's why i'm just so eager and happy to talk to anybody about baking even you know muffins or make english muffins or regular muffins or bread or make pie dough and and by the way mm-hmm. <laughs> that could be his own show but oh pie dough is a biscuit it doesn't look like it but it's a biscuit yeah it is a biscuit um, and there's so there's yeah there's these kinds of procedures there's the muffin procedure and- all right folks that's going to do it you can find links to the affiliates mentioned at culinarylibertarian.com slash 40, as well as links to the recipes I mentioned, focaccia and English muffin bread. Casey mentioned a particular kind of basket for proofing breads. That's called a banneton, and, well, forgive my pronunciation, and you can find them at my link to baking supplies at culinarylibertarian.com slash proof. I'm also working on getting a baker who is an excellent baker of conventional baked goods, but also may be the best vegan baker I've ever seen. If vegan baking interests you, subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian Podcast is provided by Matt Bankert at mattbankert.com.